0: rolling bob is it rolling bob hi folks it's chris gregory here welcome to bob dylan a head full of ideas season two is it rolling bob so we have a slightly left field topic today Um, today's piece is called my poetry was lousy you said songs about dylan It is a commonplace that Bob Dylan made possible the emergence of a whole generation of singer-songwriters. It is not surprising, therefore, that a number of them have chosen to pay tribute to him in song. Not all of the references to Dylan have been complimentary, however. Writing a song about the greatness of another songwriter is not an easy task. Most of these songwriters merely use the figure of Dylan to explore their own concerns. Some are simply in awe of the great man. Cat Power's Song to Bobby begins by expressing her devotion to him as a teenager and goes on to show her amazement at getting a phone call from his management asking her to support him on tour. Other songwriters merely name-drop Dylan or use an alias for him to make a specific point. In his devastatingly personal God from his Primal Scream album John Lennon Lasticono Band from 1970, Lennon recites a litany of heroes, gods and gurus in which he claims he no longer believes. The name Zimmerman, which by now pretty much everybody knows is Bob's real name, is given pride of place as the penultimate name in the list after Elvis and just before Gasp, Beatles. Don McLean's famous Potted History of Rock and Roll, American Pie, 1971, contains the line, And the jester sang for the king and queen in a coat he borrowed from James Dean. Dylan, of course, is the jester. In The Seeker, one of The Who's most eloquent and forceful singles, Pete Townsend laments that Dylan, along with the Beatles, Timothy Leary, and others, has failed to provide answers to the spiritual questions he's been asking. Jeff Tweedy of Wilco in a song about his own aging worries that he has now grown Bob Dylan's beard. Belle and Sebastian's like Dylan in the movies justify the reference by telling the girl to don't look back. Mark Bolan, who was so into Dylan that his adopted surname is a contraction of that of his hero. that's Think about it, um, B-O-Bob, L-A-N, that's the end of Dylan, isn't it? you didn't know that, mentions Dylan or refers to him obliquely in a number of his songs, such as Ballrooms of Mars, one of his characteristically fey poetic fantasies. He is more cryptic in his rather splendidly tongue-in-cheek hit single, Telegram Sam, which includes the line, Barbie's alright, Barbie's alright, he's a natural-born poet, he's just out of sight. It's also possible that Mark also modelled his trademark corkscrew hair on Dylan circa Blonde on Blonde. Other songwriters have attempted to parody Dylan or even, shock horror, impersonate him. Joan Baez usually insists, apparently for her own amusement, on throwing a few lines of her Dylan voice into her stage shows. In a recorded version of Simple Twist of Fate, she even sings a whole verse in a Cod Dylan voice. I'm not sure she should have done that but um, it's there on the record if you want to look it up. Paul Simon's A Simple Desultory Philippic 1966 from the Parsley Sage Rosemary and Thyme album also attempts to impersonate Dylan for comic effect. Satire has never of course been Paul's strongest suit. To be fair, though, his attempt to parody the then-current folk rock boom does have a few funny moments, the best of which occurs at the end of the song with his plaintive cry of I've lost my harmonica, Albert, a jokey reference to Dylan's then-manager, Albert Grossman. Loudon Wainwright III, whose career increasingly morphed into self-parodic comedy over the years, produced an intermittently funny Dylan Guthrie talking blues parody, Talking New Bob Dylan Blues In which he also mentions Bruce Springsteen and John Prine Who along with him were once hyped as the New Bob Dylans A rather more charmingly unpretentious effort Is Sid Barrett's typically whimsical ditty Bob Dylan's Blues An early Pink Floyd outtake In which Sid declares i going to write me a song about what's right and wrong About God and my God and all that I'm going to make like a cat A few artists, especially those of the anarcho-punk persuasion, have attempted to be rather more scathing. Dumbo Womba's Give the Anarchist a Cigarette, which takes its title from a sarcastic line delivered by Albert Grossman in Don't Look Back, refers to Dylan as a spoilt brat, and ends with much repetition of the inscrutable lines, Nothing ever burns down by itself. Every fire needs a little bit of help. The Minutemen's rather minimalistic Bob Dylan-wrote propaganda songs does little but repeat the title line. In general, though, Dylan was respected by the punk new wave generation. Arguably, the seeds of punk itself, not to mention rap, are contained in Dylan's own torrent of street jive, subterranean homesick blues. The greatest singer-poet of the new wave, Elvis Costello, is also a confirmed Dylan acolyte. A number of rather more memorable songs are based on appeals to Dylan to speak out, as he once did about political issues. In the late 60s and early 70s, Dylan was largely absent from the live music scene, releasing relatively lightweight albums and making very few public appearances. Country Joe MacDonald's rather bizarre piece of hippie nostalgia, Hey Bobby, at least as early as 1970, but still referring to the good old days, laments Dylan's retreat from the scene. Joan Baez, who had never disguised her disappointment when Dylan turned away from political activism, composed the song To Bobby, 1972, which was a clearly heartfelt but rather saccharine, perhaps hopeless, appeal to her Bobby to return to his former position as a supposed leader of the political activist movements which she, to her great credit, continued to be involved in. The song has a lovely melody and is delivered in Byers' usual immaculate tones. She makes rather obvious references to Hard rains are going to fall and the times they are changing and ends with a blatant attempt to guilt trip him by implying that the world's starving children are crying for him to return to his prophetic role. i not sure what Bob thought about that. In the later Winds of the Old Days, 1976, a rather more self-aware post-rolling thunder bias begins by lamenting, those eloquent songs from the good old days that set us marching with banners ablaze but now she is more self-deprecating referring ruefully to her own self-righteousness surely regretting releasing the rather embarrassing earlier song Another composition in the same vein, which is one of the best-known Dylan tributes, is David Bowie's Song to Bob Dylan from his brilliant 1971 album, Hunky Dory, which also contains tributes to Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground. That's a queen bitch. The song is a highly accomplished pop confection. Bowie memorably describes Dylan's voice as being like sand and glue. Its most moving line is the archly observed your heart to every bedsit room, at least a picture on the wall. But then Bowie proceeds to appeal to Dylan to give us back our unity, give us back our family, you're every nation's refugee. This is perhaps rather strange coming from Bowie who was never a political songwriter. Even more bizarre is the song's chorus. Here she comes, here she comes, here she comes again, the same old painted lady from the brow of the super brain. There's a little bit of Bowie's current interest in Nietzschean philosophy thrown in here, but it is downright weird for Bowie to imply that Dylan had been corrupted by showbiz, sonified as that same old painted lady, especially considering that Bowie himself was about to make it big in a dazzling array of stage costumes in which he often appeared as nothing less than an admittedly rather alluring painted lady himself. The greatest songs about Dylan tend to be either celebratory or rather whimsically sad. Roger McGuinn's Take Me Away, written with Dylan collaborator Jacques Levy, 1976, is a highly exuberant account of the great elation McGuinn experienced as part of the Rolling Thunder tour, which he describes as a band of gypsies of a few months before. You'd have swore for sure the circus came to town, he sings. There were ladies riding bareback and the mystery man all painted like a clown. He describes himself slipping from state to state, ending up in a drunken state of grace. The song is moving and economical, but expresses both joy and a certain sadness that this magical adventure is now over. Ralph McTell's Zimmerman Blues (1973) is a powerful and sadly reflective description of the travails of a performer like himself who has suffered greatly from a life on the road where he was nevertheless happy, hungry and cold. McTell identifies the burnout that he himself has experienced from this life as the Zimmerman Blues. Like other songwriters of the period, most noticeably Jackson Brown with his movingly poetic lament before the deluge, he also reflects back on how much of the idealism of the 1960s has now turned sour. As sure as the stars turn above, all we ever asked for was love, and I think that we've all been used. McTall is quite honest about identifying himself as being rather lower down the hierarchy of singer-poets, expressing perhaps a certain regret at this, but finally concluding that the emotional price that Zimmerman must have paid would have been too much for him. So where do we go from here? For me, it won't ever get that near. But if it did, I know what I would choose. Anything but the Zimmerman blues. The last line is then repeated eight times for emphasis, leaving us in little doubt of McDowell's humility. Jimi Hendrix, apart from being universally acknowledged as the greatest guitarist ever, was also Dylan's most powerful interpreter. His performance of Like a Rolling Stone at the 1967 Monterey Festival is an audaciously original take on a song that very few interpreters have managed to handle the complicated dynamics of. Hendrix also cut a version of Can You Please Crawl Out Your Window for a BBC Session and an electrified drifter's escape. His All Along the Watchtower is one of the most powerful pieces of rock music ever recorded. Dylan admired it so much that the thousands of live versions of the song he played were based on Hendrix's arrangement. Hendrix's own personal tribute to Dylan, Highway Child, was to be found on an early B-side. It is one of Hendrix's most impressive compositions, kicking off with one of his patent and unforgettable guitar licks. The song rides along on an irresistible riff and is punctuated by a typically memorable guitar solo. Hendrix makes knowing references to the highway child as a rolling stone whose flaming hair is a blowing in the wind. He mythologizes Dylan, portraying him as a hobo who left home when he was 17 and who left the world behind. But the real tribute lies in the perfectly controlled wildness of the music and its evocation of Dylan as a rebel hero. Now, you'd probably call him a tramp, the chorus begins, but I know it goes a little deeper than that. Finally, we return to Joan Baez, who has always been known primarily as an interpretative artist, albeit one whose career and life was transformed by her encounter in the early 1960s with Bob Dylan. She contributed considerably to making him famous by introducing him at her concerts, with a considerable bemusement of some of her fans. They sang together at the 1963 March on Washington At which Martin Luther King delivered his I have a dream speech And later at the Newport Folk Festivals in 1963 and 64 For a short time their rather public relationship Led to them being dubbed the king and queen of folk music But by 1965 Dylan had moved away from political songwriting and activism And was about to go electric Later that year, in a secret ceremony, he married Sarah Lowndes. It was clear from songs like To Bobby that, despite her own complicated love life in the years that followed, she was still absolutely enthralled to him, even though by now they had very little contact with each other. Then one day in 1975, completely out of the blue, she had a phone call. Baez's song Diamonds and Rust, released in 1976 but performed regularly on the first Rolling Thunder tour in late 1975, is generally acclaimed as her most accomplished composition. She's played it at virtually every concert since, usually with some words of explanation. Although Dylan is never mentioned by name, there is absolutely no doubt at all that the song is an account of her thoughts about her reconnection with him in the mid-70s. Baez later played a key role in the Rolling Thunder tour. As well as performing her own material, she engaged in duets with Dylan on a nightly basis, which were far more musically successful than when they sang together in 1963 to 64. In those earlier days, Baez's high contralto often clashed awkwardly with Dylan's voice of sand and blue. But by 1975, Baez's vocals had hardened somewhat and Dylan, following his country period, now sung in a decidedly softer tone. Their harmonies on Dylan's songs like I Dreamed I Saw St Augustine and I Shall Be Released and on covers like The Water Is Wide and Never Let Me Go were exquisite. Ayers even played a prominent role in Dylan's film of the tour Rinaldo and Clara. But the Rolling Thunder tour was a specific project in which Dylan involved many of his old compatriots from the 60s after it was over. They rarely sang together again. Diamonds and Rust is such a compelling song because of the complexity of the emotions it conveys. Baez truly lays her heart on the line here. There can be in no doubt at all that she was, is and always will be utterly in love with Dylan but that she now realises that any new relationship would be impossible. She takes us through the feelings she experienced during their reunion with very striking emotional honesty. The drippy idealism of To Bobby is long gone. It is clear that the encounter with the real Bob Dylan, rather than the mythic figure she had created out of him in his absence, had been cathartic for her. Tong has a stirring melody which beautifully suggests hope tinged with sadness and finally self-realization. Its lyrics have an economy and a precision worthy of Dylan himself. Baez conducts a kind of internal monologue with herself throughout the song. Well, I'll be damned, here comes your ghost again. But that's not unusual, it's just that the moon is full, you happen to call. At First she rationalises with herself that this is just an old friend calling her. The initial, well I'll be damned, is a common colloquial expression that hints at darker themes. Will she be damned or destined to suffer tragic consequences if she allows herself to admit her love for the caller? The contrast in the second line, in which she attempts to normalise what is happening, but in the context of a full moon, presenting of course the madness of unrestrained passion, especially in women, is brilliantly understated. And then she takes us directly into the present moment. Here I sit, hand on the telephone, hearing a voice I'd known a couple of light-years ago, heading straight for a fall. faux jokey reference to light-years continues the cosmic imagery, but in the last line we experience with her the rising hope and at the same time the hopelessness that their love might be renewed. Then in a distinctly dylan way, she jumps back through time. She is still talking to him on the telephone, but her mind is racing back through the excitement, the ecstasy and the disappointment that she experienced with him all those years ago. At first, this is interspersed with a few snippets of the present-day conversation. One of the most remarkable things about the song is the way in which Baez recognises her own failings. The line... I remember your eyes were bluer than Robin's eggs, is of course a corny one, which reveals not only her intense love for him, but her naivety as a younger woman. This is immediately undercut by the next line, which is clearly something Dylan once said to her that she is now remembering. Your poetry was lousy, you said. Of course, he's generally correct, yet the way she has put these two lines together succeeds in putting the real nature of their relationship In a nutshell, this poetry is certainly not lousy. She is open-hearted, but he is sharp, even cruel to her. It is obvious to any listener now that this relationship could never really have worked will not do so in the future. But this still does not stop her being besotted with him. Baez tries to deflect these thoughts by returning to mundane conversation. This time she presents the two figures speaking in terse lines. Where are you calling from? Booth in the Midwest. The Midwest is where Dylan originates from. In With God and Our Sides, memorable opening lines, he calls it the country I come from. This return to reality is only temporary. For the rest of the song, Byers surrenders to a cavalcade of overwhelming memories of her relationship with Dylan. These are realised with great intensity, but are delivered with precision and much dramatic irony. For the rest of the song, she retreats into her memories, which she now views through the prism of bitter experience. She has a fond memory of buying him some, perhaps, diamond-encrusted pufflinks. but then she finds herself warning that voice on the telephone that we both know what memories can bring. They bring diamonds and rust, which is a very interesting image um, indicating both beauty and decay. She then sinks further into nostalgic recollections, remembering Dylan's early years of fame in vivid, as if slightly mocking, but warmly delivered lines. You burst on the scene, already a legend, the unwashed phenomenal, the original vagabond. She then gives a brief overview of their relationship, admitting it only happened because he was temporarily lost at sea. In a reference to the final verse of Visions of Johanna, which many took to be a reference to her, she declares, the Madonna was yours for free, portraying herself, perhaps self-mockingly, as the embodiment of purity. This is followed by another self characterization Yes, the girl on the half-shell could keep you unharmed. This is a reference to Botticelli's famous painting of Venus, the goddess of love, emerging naked and fully formed by the sea, blown by Zephyr, the wind god. These lines are also effective not only because Baez seems prepared to mock her own public image but also because of the way she reveals her emotional fragility in Dylan's presence. The reference to keeping him unharmed seems to be another rather self-mocking reference to her own well-supported tendency to mother the often scruffily unwashed singer. The next two verses contain perhaps the song's most powerfully evocative images. Byers takes us back to a wintry scene in which they are staying together in a crummy hotel on Washington Square, referencing a well-known location in Greenwich Village. Then there are the literally breathtaking lines, our breath comes out, white clouds, mingles and hangs in the air. Here their mingled breath symbolises their emotional ties. It is as if she is desperately trying to freeze that memory in her mind, hoping it will last forever. But this memorable image is undercut by the knowingly self-deprecating, speaking strictly for me, we both could have died then and there. She wishes the moment to be preserved for eternity. In writing these words, she has perhaps succeeded in doing so. This is especially poignant because she clearly identifies the transcendent feelings as belonging to her alone. This level of complex self-awareness lifts Baez's songwriting onto a new plane of self-awareness. In the beautiful image of the white clouds mingling, she immortalises their relationship. But she is never naive enough to think that this moment can really be recreated. In the last two verses she turns her ire on Dylan, trying to get under the surface of his notoriously evasive personality. Now you're telling me you're not nostalgic then give me another word for it. You who are so good with words and at keeping things vague. Here again, the dynamics of the relationship are revealed. She is utterly enraptured by his poetic nature and his soulfulness, but extremely frustrated by his equivocal attitudes and ambiguous pronouncements. She confesses that, I need some of that vagueness now, it's all come back to clearly this point we can imagine she is truly in tears letting all those years of frustration out in this hopeless plea. Finally she recovers her composure. Seems to be a suggestion that he may be in his rather vague way suggesting that they rekindle their relationship but she tells him that if you're offering me diamonds and rust I've already paid. Perhaps we may believe her. She is refusing to be taken in by the beguiling words of this man who is so good with words. The song's exploration of her own personal contradictions and its evocation of her own longing is so strong that we surely know that she is merely putting up a defence. It is the fact that she is prepared to expose her own emotional vulnerability that makes the song so powerful. Diamonds and Russ was released at a time when female singer-songwriters were becoming more prominent. The song's emotional complexity is reminiscent of the work of Joni Mitchell on albums like Blue, For the Roses and Court and Spark, in which she analyses the dynamics of her own relationships with great irony and commitment. Yet Mitchell is always a little more distant from her subjects, looking back obliquely on one relationship as she moves on to another. Baez's song is so moving partly because we know exactly who she is singing about and the fact that she is not hiding behind any characters or unreliable narrators. Even though Dylan is never named in the song, there is no doubt who it is addressed to. Thus, The greatest song about Bob Dylan is the one in which a fellow legendary performer actually reveals to us her personal and intimate knowledge of the man. Yet Baez manages to do this in a way that is never cloying or sentimental, and while the song is tinged by a kind of ineffable sadness that the great love she feels can never be truly realized, this is tempered by a certain awe of her subject that even she feels. Well, I hope you um, enjoyed that. Um, you may want to have a look at my uh, website, which is called From the Pen of Chris Gregory. And you can find that at chrisgregory.org. It's got lots of writing on Bob Dylan and various other subjects. Details of the books I've written, which include the book Determined to Stand, the reinvention of Bob Dylan, which is available on my website. Um, this is a, a book about Dylan's work f- from time out of mine onwards, and it's also about the never-ending tour. Um, it's a very detailed work, which uh, I hope you'd probably enjoy if you've enjoyed this podcast um, there's lots of other stuff there lots of podcasts and lots of writing on the on the site uh, again if you've enjoyed this and you'd like to um, help out the poor starving podcasters like me uh, you might want to chuck me a couple of quid um, you can do that through a website called buy me a coffee uh, in which it's called. Uh, what you look for is buy me a coffee forward slash Chris Gregoff. That's G R E G O F. Um, why why it's like that? I don't know, but that's that's it anyway. And if you go there, you can chuck me a little bit of little bit of money so that I can keep making these podcasts, keep the wolf from the door, and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, I hope you've enjoyed this and um, I'll be back uh, with the next episode of Season 2 of A Headful of Ideas. Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob? Is it rolling, Bob, 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 Bob?